Hey yeah. man, this is Tommy Chong. This is the Chillinoy Podcast, so enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Chillinoy Podcast. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well, folks. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first episode we did together uh, with Vintage Buds, definitely go back and check it out. Vintage Buds is an OG, an original gr- grower, or as he calls it, an old guy. Um, <laughs> he's got a lot of awesome stories. He's been through uh, the test of time. Um, with regard to cannabis and its prohibition. He's seen a lot and done a lot, so definitely go back and check this episode out. You guys might recognize the Vintage Buds username from our Reddit, uh, our subreddit, which if you haven't joined it yet, it's ILTrees on Reddit. A quick and easy way to join uh, 14,000 other Chillinoyans is to go to chillinoy.net slash reddit. It's free to subscribe. Like I say, we're about to hit 14K. Stay tuned. We'll be doing a giveaway with some people so you can win some free stuff. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of good conversation there. Um, One of the conversations that's been started there, why don't we just dive right in, is the fact that there was recently a a recall on Verano products. I've gotten a lot of messages and emails about this. And uh, folks are pretty concerned, as you might imagine, buds. Um, But I wanted to start off with this topic today because first of all I just wanted to say that mold recalls are not out of the ordinary unfortunately Um, if you google mold recalls cannabis you'll find some results of it happening in a few different states including Colorado Michigan and you might even see some familiar names like Curaleaf Uh, so (laughs) so I uh, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll take that back. I don't know if Curaleaf has been uh, the result of it, but I'll tell you when I was Googling it, their name popped up. I don't know for sure, certain I saw an article, so I'm not trying to make any accusations. Anyways, though, not out of the ordinary. Uh, when it comes down to it, mold can thrive in bud that has 15% humidity content or higher. And I mean, a good cure is at 62 to 63% <laughs> humidity. So. As you can see, folks, there is room for this to happen. Um, what I sh- what I should break down is that, um, and buds, feel free to jump in here because I'm just mm-hmm. kind of ranting. Um, m- mold can happen. Like there are two main kinds of mold that can affect cannabis, and one of them is generated during the cultivation process before it's been harvested, and the other can cure or, or happen uh, after curing has already happened. Um, and so I'm actually reading off of wayofleaf.com. They've got a little write-up on it. They're talking about Botrytis cinerea, probably butchered that, also known as the infamous bud rot, is the type of molding process present during the cultivation of the plant. It begins to grow all the way down at the stem of the buds and slowly makes its way into them, sometimes completely inhabiting the flowers from the inside out. This molding process is usually caused because of humidity and lack of airflow, which causes growth, uh, encouraging moisture to get trapped inside the dense colas and buds, leading to bud rot. So if you're not a cannabis cultivator, you don't really need to worry about that type of rot. For the most part, QA testing should weed that out. Of course, buds, just a a call back to our last episode. Um, We talked about how some of these cultivators might be employing methods of... uh, cannabis remediation, uh, specifically irradiation, uh, to try to make their way past these tests in order, in other words, uh, um, you know, try to remediate their product, make it not have that. So, uh, the other type though, like I said, can happen after the curing has already happened. And this is likely exactly what happened because, um, like I, like I said, mold can thrive in a, environment with just about 15% humidity. I, when I cure my buds, uh, I look, I I shoot for that 63%. You don't want it too dry. You don't want it too moist. Um, of course folks know that Illinois cannabis comes a little bit drier and that is, I think a result of our, our stringent testing requirements. Um, so hypothetically, we should see we should probably be seeing less of these recalls, and I think it's true to say that we do. I think we do see less of these recalls than other states see. I, I think you're right about that. With you know, just just off the top of my head, without you know going back and looking at the, the data, so to speak, 
I mean, it's kind of a constant complaint. Oh, our buds are too dry. But, you know, look at that gap there between when mold could form, which is as low as 15% humidity, and then the typical target area of 60-ish percent, you know, uh, you get you get different varieties. Bovita packs, I think, are 58%. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, it, other people, people like it a little bit moister, but, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> keep an eye on it. Let's put it that way. Uh, a lot of it has to do with temperature in addition to moisture content. So that's something to keep in mind is that depending upon the mold, it won't really grow if it's cold. Yeah. Cold enough anyway. So that's something, you know, to, to consider. But, you know, we don't we don't normally consider you know, it's something that we keep in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to put my, you know, like ha- half ounces, ounces in the fridge, keep them in there, you know, uh, even when they have Bovita packs. Uh, that's just a personal thing because I've done it over the years and it tends to keep things under control anyway. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you, you want things to, to not tend to go to mold. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the bud rot. I tell you what, that, that that's really disappointing, and you're probably unlikely to see any of that at retail because because it you know it basically your buds are just sort of rotted from the middle out. It's kind of mm-hmm. weird, you know, when it happens. Fortunately, it hasn't happened much, but I have seen it before. Um, so, but that like you say, that's usually not the issue for for most people at retail. The issue is well, you get a little mold in your buds, you know, and. I've seen pictures pop up and stuff, and uh, yeah, it's probably, you know, when you're talking about a, an agricultural product that's produced in large batches, and they try to get it evened out, you know, with the moisture and stuff by, you know, bagging it or boxing it, letting it set like that, and then letting slowly, you open it up, let drier air in, let the humid air out, close it up. I mean, there's various different ways of doing that, but that's the basic process, is your incrementing down till you get to that you know happy spot wherever you pick your happy spot to be you know but that still leaves you to open to the possibility of mold forming so it's it's something to keep in mind that mold is basically all around us I mean absolutely the only place you you get a mold free place is in a autoclave or some other sterilization apparatus Mm-hmm. which will kill off all your mold spores and stuff at extreme heat and stuff like that. But you don't want to be heating your reefer up, uh, you know, unless you're ready to, to do something uh, with yeah, it. Yeah, unless you're ready it's to inhale. smoke. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it's kind of a constant problem. And I think they do a pretty good job, really. Uh, people shouldn't get all worked up. I mean, if you open something up and it doesn't look like it's got mold growing on it, it's probably okay doesn't mean that there's no absolutely no mold spores on it it's simply right. that's not in the right environment to cause them to replicate and cause that ugliness that we see sometimes um, so it's, it's kind of a constant battle uh, you know in, in terms of, of how they do this I you know I've, I've got mixed feelings about how you you end up dealing with this personally having grown and cured and all that myself I tend to go a little bit drier in the long run but then again you know mm-hmm. people people want nowadays want their their reefer to be a little bit more moist one of the things you can do I mean if, if it's for yourself certainly and you know most of us aren't growing for others because we're staying legal and growing for ourselves those of us who have a med card uh, is to make it a little on the dry side after your initial cure, dry down and cure, and then you can always add a little moisture to it. Absolutely. You know, make, it, make it a little bit better for, you know, uh, working it or in the grinder, however you prefer to do it. Uh, that's not going to hurt it. It, it isn't, um, but it also kind of lessens the chance that, you know, something could go wrong. Another thing to do is just keep checking on it, too. I mean, yep, don't yep. put it up on the shelf and come back a month month later and figure, well, everything's fine, especially if it's not been that long since harvest. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, you need to check it really daily. And, in fact, the very process of checking it daily, opening the container up and closing it again, actually works pretty darn well for getting a cure. I mean, you can get yep. all fancy. You can get meters and stuff. I'm kind of looking forward to getting a, a decent moisture meter here one of these days. 
I mean, they were they were pretty expensive back in the day. People used them for corn. I'm not a corn farmer, so yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure about you know how they're set up, but I'm sure you can probably get a meter these days for. Very yeah, you can get a. I got a cheap little meter here in this uh, jar. Um, okay. You know, and you can yeah, see sixty-two percent. Yeah. But yeah, like you say, you definitely want to open those jars daily, folks. And what I do as well, I kind of shake the nugs because if they're touching each other. Um, you know, you want to kind of have them shift around. You don't want to have them trapping in moisture on each other. Yeah. So. Very good point. You know, shake it up, move it around. I mean, depends upon how you're storing it. I mean, if you've got a big block, that works pretty good, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything. But, uh, yeah, do that. Uh, you need to keep an eye on it. Uh, you want it down so it's dry enough to smoke, but you don't want it so dry that it just crumbles away either. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and really... That depends somewhat on the structure of the particular variety that you're you're doing. Some buds are very tightly structured, and of course, it depends on the position on the plant too. Obviously, the top yeah. buds are, are are nicer in that regard. But that's also the sort of stuff that tends to trap moisture. So you got to be mm-hmm. extra careful with those. You know, otherwise, you may end up being a little disappointed down the road. Absolutely, yeah. Those big those big colas, while they do look crazy. Um, it's a breeding ground for mold because, you know, you talk about trying to get air between, you know, and you can get air, you can get an oscillating fan to blow on between your plant and, you know, make sure to get even coverage. But if those colas are just so dense that it doesn't allow air to get in there, yeah, I mean, and you don't keep your, uh, environment dry. Like you say, I've got a dehumidifier running in there. It's filling up every day, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's cool stuff but i wanted to cover that because folks uh they're like they're you know we've talked a lot about um testing you you and i buds have talked some about testing you know and we're not trying to remove faith in our institutions and that's what i was starting to feel like i'm not saying that i'm not saying that they're doing everything good and well but what i'm saying is is uh I, I referenced a logical fallacy in the last podcast with Brad Spears, and it's like Occam's razor or something like that. Yeah. Don't attribute malice to what might just be, you know, just a fucking coincidence, whatever. Yeah. So I wanted to just say that, folks, because um, it's it sucks to see, of course, but it happens. And it happens in other markets. It's not out of the ordinary for it to happen, in my opinion. So and it happens on produce. That's the other thing I want to make clear is that this type of mold, Aspergillus, I'm probably saying that one wrong too. Uh, yeah, is a mold, uh, an airborne mold, and it, it grows not only on cannabis but on fresh produce, produce and other foods. And it's actually quite difficult to notice at first with the naked eye, especially with frosty cannabis flowers. It can easily be mistaken for uh, trichomes. If they keep getting frostier and frostier, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. so that's that's one good thing to look for is if they keep getting frostier looking every day, that, they shouldn't. I mean, they should be frosty to start with, but not frostier and frostier. You may have a problem. Right, shouldn't be looking like snows gathering on them, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, well, I feel like we accomplished that topic. Um, there was a new licensing bill, which I grownin.com reported on. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, or maybe I did mention it, and I'm just so high I f- forgot that I did mention it. Um, we recently had Brad Spearson on the show. Uh, he talked to us about the latest uh, that's going on in Illinois cannabis, uh, Michigan cannabis, Missouri cannabis, and a little bit more. We talked about the federal federal legalization and a little bit about Biden and stuff. So definitely check that out. But anyways, folks, uh, they just reported today, which this isn't something that we, well, we talked about it, but Brad, it hadn't happened yet. So a new licensing bill just passed the house committee. Um, it would allow for 115 new licenses, dispensary licenses, um, to, to, uh, come about. Um, it basically creates new lotteries for 55 new dispensary licenses each using the pool of applicants obtained in January 2020 and distributes five unassigned medical licenses in another library. 
It includes a slew of other technical fixes as well, um, including allowing cannabis workers to begin work while they wait for a printed state identification card, allowing existing adult use dispensaries to move locations. Um, and I think I saw something else. Oh yeah, it. Um, the provision also includes a number of ownership disclosure rules requiring cannabis businesses to keep a record of owners and operators on file with state agencies and for state agencies to publish license ownership information and business locations on department websites. Currently, medical cultivators and dispensaries are not required to disclose that information. Fun fact. Um, so I saw that you were commenting about this. Uh, I have some comments about it as well. I guess just to kick the ball and get it rolling, um, my thoughts on this, and I, I've been asking my last few guests about it, like what if we if we would have taken approach, aka a more open um, a more open approach, and by that I mean less barriers to entry, um, you know, more licenses to be awarded. I wonder if we wouldn't have minorities operating businesses today, which is the whole purpose of this charade. I don't mean to call it a charade because that might be seen as a little uh, swift-handed, but I mean, folks, it's almost two years and we don't have any fucking licenses, so I, I'm being a little blunt. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and these licenses that would come out, I'm going to be a little blunt again. Uh, you know, feel free to take these comments out of context. Um, but if we're giving licenses to minority owners that own dispensaries, well, that only means they can sell the white man's weed because again, there's not any owner, there's not any minority owners on the cultivation side of this industry yet. So is that really what we're shooting for? You know, and I just, I don't know, buds, I'm not an, I'm not an economist. I don't know much about anything, as I always say in the show. But what do you think about, I guess, that idea, just to start off this conversation? More open. Well, I think their whole problem is, is that they somehow believe that by limiting the number of licenses they issue, they can somehow limit the consumption of cannabis or not encourage it or something. And it's it's a fallacious idea for the first at the very first because that assumes there's no black market and that there is no other supply and that people won't proceed to go ahead and just ignore the state and it's flailing efforts to try to yeah are you market. saying uh just to make sure i understand what you're saying are you saying that uh, you think that there's hesitation to take a more open approach because they're worried about diversion of legal cannabis like or, or more use no, of it or something i think they just they just somehow want to continue supporting the idea that cannabis has to be closely controlled because it's dangerous and gotcha. that if there's too much of it out there too many people smoking it there's just going to be all kinds of horrendous consequences. Well, first of all, we've already about 18 months into this experiment, and, and I can't identify any horrendous change in consequences that can be attributed to legal cannabis. The only things I probably could say is it's probably positive in terms of keeping cannabis out of the hands of young people. We've talked about this a little bit before. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, there's people carding if you want reefer. Well. That's definitely going to cut down some people's consumption. I mean, not that that can't be beat. People beat the system with alcohol and tobacco anyway, but you have to go to some effort. And, you know, sure. personally, I think it helps to discourage young people from just diving in. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not so sure about, you know, what the proper age is and all that. I'm not going to speak mm -hmm. to any of that. I mean, we do have a basic thing where you got to be 21, uh, you know, and... For better or worse, we're kind of stuck with that one way or the other. It's 21 for tobacco now. It used to be 18. Uh, it's 21 for uh, liquor. It used to be younger. You could have 3.2. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what it was because I didn't yeah. concern myself that much. <laughs> but 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 that's really when you get right down to it. They somehow believe that limiting it and making it cost more is going to limit people's consumption. And I just it's. It's BS. I mean, <laughs> people will just buy more, in which case the state gets more taxes, and the 
distributors and growers get more profits. Uh, but, you know, really, it's something that somehow they believe that by monetizing it, they can control it. That by controlling the price of it, somehow or another, that controls people's use of it and stuff. I just, I just don't see very much evidence that that's the case. Yeah. Uh, I think what we get is the state gets a lot of taxes and the producers and retailers get a lot of profit. And both those groups are pretty happy right now with the way things are. Uh, but in the long run, it's not going to change anything with the black market. If anything, it acts as a price support for the black market. Which yeah. is a pretty ironic result, considering that the intention was to eliminate the black market. Well, to do that, you're going to have to be a lot more competitive on pricing. Right. Uh, obviously, uh, that's an issue. But I, I don't think it's a matter of goat being so cheap that you know people just won't care about it or or, or what have you. I mean, my my whole argument is based on being a grower, both personal grower commercial grower in the past ended up being a medical grower mainly but monetizing it really is is a bad thing and that's where the bad results come from so the irony here is is they somehow think it's a positive thing to have less cannabis legally and yet that undermines trying to undermine the illegal side of things whereas it also really doesn't work for what they intended to do. I mean, people don't smoke less cannabis. They smoke less because it's expensive. They just smoke less cannabis when they get smart and realize, hey, you know, don't smoke so much and you'll get a lot, a lot less tolerance and a lot more. I mean, that's the irony here is that, is that cannabis goes a long way, really, if you get right down to it. Uh, I mean, some people smoke it up, you know, we all have wasteful means of consumption, but we also have less wasteful means of consumption. Yeah. And, and, and to me, that's really what it's about. If there's any health effects here, the idea is to limit consumption. And, you know, making it really expensive doesn't necessarily limit consumption, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, you know, I think there's definitely that part of it. I mean, we talk about uh, the playbook that they uh, employ. Um, Mike Fouché from Grown In calls him the Fouché forces of cannabis, I believe. <laughs> I uh, I can't remember. I think I saw, I think I got this idea from a conversation. Oh, man, I'm talking to too many people with somebody here on the podcast. And we were, t I think it may have been um, Daniel Corral, who I accidentally called David Corral on the show. Um <laughs> Uh, he, I believe, talked about GTI's playbook and its limited licensing, uh, high population, high tourism. I so I see what you're talking about with uh, you know their idea of limiting the licensing so that the prices stay high to benefit the them also benefit the government because of taxes. But then also the I I guess I can see I've never personally heard. Um, personally heard like that reasoning you know the the idea of it would allow or it would make people have less cannabis or use less cannabis but i can certainly see the rationale um what i think these licenses are made for i mean i see what these licenses are like the idea behind this structure i get it the idea being that um you give minorities or people that you know uh, a better way of putting it in my opinion is people that were disproportionately affected by the war on drugs um, you want to give those people who sometimes we refer to as our legacy providers um, pretty cool way of talk, referring to their you know occupation uh, we want to give them you know an opportunity per to participate in the legal marketplace because they've you know created this illegal marketplace technically and they've been supporting all these consumers in the meantime and so the idea behind these is to give those people a foothold and a, a good opportunity to you know last the stand of time against some of these big businesses but it's illinois i i'm just like i it's definitely placed the intentions are in good places but folks like did you forget where we live this is the most, it's like it's like the corrupt, most corrupt state in uh, 
I don't know. It's in my opinion, it's pretty crazy. Like I look up to some of the people that are fighting for what I think is right, but at the same time, it's it's politics. So you know, I've heard, and this can be considered anecdotal, and I've encouraged people to write into the show. But I've heard that in other industries where we've tried to make this happen, i.e., construction, what happens is. Like, you know, we give out uh, contracts to women-owned businesses or uh, whatever else, whatever whatever other category, you know. Um, so what these people do is they find somebody to fit that category and name them the leader of the company. Meanwhile, they have a backdoor deal to, you know, work out the finances, right? In other words, they get the contracts they need because of their, they fit the build of a lot of these, quali- you know, that, they fit the build, and um, I don't know. I, I just I've been saying this for a while. I think even on this podcast that I th- thought that this possibly would happen here with this, and um, I just I think it is. I you know so we're talking about 115 new dispensary licenses. So there's only 115 people that were disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> I, uh, and I, I know that that sounds crass. I'm just saying that, like, why can't we have, I think we talked about it together, why can't we have the licensing structure that allows for craft cultivators, um, for people like Cresco and GTI that are just massive cultivators, like a Class C license, license, um, you know, uh, different classes of licenses, but also, like I've said in the past, maybe, uh, certain amount of licenses are allocated to veterans, a certain amount of licenses are allocated to disproportionately affected by war on drugs. You know, like, I don't understand why we can't do those things and then allow the consumers to support the businesses that they want to support. Because, I mean, that's happening now. People are taking a moral stance not to purchase from, you know, just to name a company. I'm not... any company we'll just use Cresco for example people are saying I'm not purchasing from Cresco anymore because of the lobbying positions they take and you know the market that they've created and the environment they fostered yada 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 so I'm not going to Sunnyside and I'm not buying Cresco products right so that's happening now today and I don't understand why that couldn't happen anyways though sorry I'm ranting (laughs) well I think the basic problem is they're trying to split up the market into little fiefdoms or whatever and and somehow in the belief that this will create economically viable units first of all it doesn't seem to be a problem for the big folks let's put it this way I mean the real problem is just giving people access at the lower end yeah and, uh, I mean this whole thing where it's like costing people maybe ten thousand dollars a month just to sort of keep a license proposal alive yeah. under the way the system is set up I mean you know, you, you have to have these people in place. You have to have them ready to go, all this stuff. I mean, this is just, a, you know, assumes that there's major dollars involved. That assumes that there's a certain small segment of our society who has access to those privileges. Right. I mean, what you really need is a system that's set up that has a much lower barrier to production, basically. I mean, this is not the same thing as creating some sort of privileged groups and yeah, whatever yeah. but it can have the same results for them in terms of improvement maybe even better because you know I don't think we're really doing groups that have been historically underprivileged much good if we just cherry pick a few people and say well we're going to make you as rich as these white folks I mean that that doesn't help most people at all okay that says we're going to continue creating the small privileged class of people with access to the, the major levers in the cannabis trade. Yeah, and but, I... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, basically, you know, it's better to have a lot of little people out there doing their best, like small business always has been in this country. I mean, people make these silly arguments and they keep forgetting and we got traditions here that... that you know, I don't always agree with them, okay? Mm-hmm. But people seem to make money. They seem to be able to put together a viable business plan. They seem to be able to create products that people want and market them. 
and yet why are we saying oh all those folks we don't need their help at all you know we're, we're just going to leave it to a few folks that we can manage easily and uh, not have too much of a problem on our hands keep that confined to very close uh, zones of control and somehow or another this is going to control people's concerns about cannabis and the, the whole thing doesn't stack up to me I mean yeah. if you really have concerns about cannabis and there are viable concerns about cannabis we're not going about it the right way to address those concerns we're actually making them worse so of course they may not want to admit that you know since this program is supposed to fix everything <laughs> and sure. that's part of the problem here but the real problem here is they've gone and created these privileged classes and now those people perceive that anybody else who gets access to these privileges in this zero-sum game takes away from their privileges and that's that's really what the, the root of the problem is here was in assuming there should be privileged classes in the first place rather than a broad-based licensing scheme that would make it easily accessible to people who are just ordinary citizens who you know want to invest in a small business build it up just like any other small business there shouldn't be like this half million or million dollar tripwire that you got to get over first <laughs> I mean that's that's just assuming people who already are well off are going to continue to be well off and I think we've really taken care of those people and now they see any other expansion as a threat to what they have and that is what the basic problem is there is what they have was granted at a time when there wasn't anything out there to try to build something up they should not imagine or shouldn't imagine that somehow or another this gives them boundless access to stay ahead of everybody else we need to right. be getting away from that not reinforcing it yeah and uh you know just to quote a applicant that i actually reached out to who we'll have on the show later um uh in in the future um i kind of floated these ideas and he said yeah you know i said on one hand i think hypothetically if we didn't have some of these caps and barriers we might see some minority owned businesses operating today on the other hand i do see a lot of downsides or downsides related to big money making it impossible for some others to gain a foothold i see you know both sides of the argument and he said yeah i see it both ways but i really feel they should open it up maybe not unlimited caps but much higher than they do now the big issue is supply there's a complete monopoly on supply in Illinois. Even if I get a license, all it does is give me the ability to sell their products, mm-hmm. which is kind of goes back to what we were talking about. So um, it's uh, it's really interesting how this is all going down in Illinois. I mean, it's uh, I saw your token there a second ago. I think it's <laughs> worth a good toke. There's a little bit of uh, hand rubbed taras from my first legal crop. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, folks. Hope you're uh, enjoying some uh, good old-fashioned cannabis right now. Um, so, yeah, we talked about the emails and messages I got about the Verano recall. Um, any other thoughts on new li- the new licensing bill uh, going through the House? Any other thoughts on this topic before we go into uh, fun topics like medical cannabis in 1978 and story time with buds? Yeah. Now that's pretty much it on the licensing. They just really have got to open it up. They've, they've got to make it so that there's an, a category of license. You can get it. You can build a small business vertically integrated. There's no need to be, you know, getting other people necessarily involved. You can grow your own and sell it. Seed to sale, I think, is what we need here. Uh, that would also, along with universal right to home grow uh, with some reasonable limit not five plants okay because yep, most yep. people are not going to be doing high tech with their home grows I mean it's nice if they have access to that that's fine but if you somehow think they're going to grow too much marijuana and do something illegal with it well then bust them for that when they do something illegal with it don't make everybody who probably will just grow their own and leave it at that uh, suffer because of that. That's that's another critical aspect. That there really needs to be universal homegrown. Uh, 
Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. We need to be able to cultivate, everybody needs to be able to cultivate this product. It's not dangerous. It's, uh, is just a plant just like your tomato plants. And, uh, there's no reason everybody shouldn't be able to cultivate it. So, um, all right, so yeah, let's talk about before we go to story time with buds, which should be fun, um, folks. You can just once again, I want to plug. You can see uh, vintage buds posts on um, our Reddit, chillinois.net/slash/reddit. That'll be in the description for you. Um, really cool photos and glimpses back in history um, to growing, growing back and how long ago, what, name some years, <laughs> 1980s, uh, right? 1990s? Well, first seeds I ever put down trying to grow anything was 1975, which was an outdoor gorilla grow, and it didn't go anywhere. There's a long railroad <laughs> track way out in the boonies, relatively for Illinois, and the deer ate them or something, I don't know. <laughs> but my first real growing was uh, in the 78 time frame after the big paraquat deal with uh, Carter spraying that stuff on uh, Mexican reefer and Colombian reefer. Yeah. For some reason. Like, but that was good public policy. I, I don't know. <laughs> you're like, fuck that. Yeah, I'm growing my own. Keep at work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, folks, you can see pictures from fucking 70s, 80s, 90s, way back. Blast from the past for sure. Um, really cool photos and uh, glimpse back into history. I joked last time that we're going to need to frame these photos and put them in the Chillinois Museum of Cannabis. So, um, we'll, we'll keep well, that in mind in, in the will. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. There we go. Yeah, keep us in mind. Um, yeah, well, we, we've got some stuff right now that we've been working through, which is really my really successful outdoor grow over several years. Then bad things happen that uh, led me away from that. But we got a nice set of photos up right now showing it as young plants and then as pretty mature plants. And then the next ones coming up are going to be harvested buds. And you can see this. Well, see now, I'll get this one picture. You can see, well, the size of the album cover and the size of the bud next to <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, the, the, this was the big bud, the Indiana big bud I've been sort of talking about all along. Here's another uh-huh. shot of that with a hand, damn. arm holding that baby down there. So yeah, <clears throat> some big buds, that's all for sure. So that's something to look forward to. That's going to be the next round here, and we will uh, reference that and have these up so that you can enjoy them too. And then after that, of course, those are the fresh trimmed ones. Then we get to uh, dried, the same Ooh. bud once again. We got like Man, a that's some good-looking cannabis for back in the day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good You're stuff. a freaking pioneer. It, it it impressed people. Let's put it that way. Yeah, probably blew people away. Yeah, um, yeah, folks, stay tuned for that. Uh, it's gonna <laughs> be on our Reddit. So, so that's coming up anyway. Uh, that's that's the early '90s. We get it. It kind of tapers off here. I know I've got some other pictures around, but what I have collected, we're we'll be coming to the end here in another sure. four or five installments, unfortunately. But it'll get us to what was my longest running grow room, pretty successful, worked well. Two lamps. Hey, they you they, know. they sort of interrupted that, and we won't talk too too specifically about that. Sure. Just, We'll have to, uh, sometime we'll have to like look through the photos and, uh, we can talk, we can talk about them, maybe get a little bit of more context. You know how it is with podcasts. You can just, you can, um, and then, uh, we could release a video and kind of show the pictures as we talk about them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Obviously we, yeah. Questions about a specific photo and stuff. Now, some things. I don't comment on for specific reasons and we'll sure. deal with that as that comes up. But I'm usually more than happy to expand on things as best I can with my creaky OG memory. <laughs> yeah, know. folks, don't hesitate to write us an email or even, uh, I would say, DM you on Reddit, you know? Yeah, can, yeah, yeah shoot you a message. I, I answer people back. 
Hell yeah. Nice guy. I won't I won't be doing all kinds of weird stuff with your, your name or something because I'm too lazy and old to be that inventive anyway. And I'm not that kind of guy. So. Hell yeah. Well, that's cool. That, that, I look forward to another installment of Storytime with Buds. And folks, yeah. stay tuned for those uh, photos. Um, I'm actually about to read a little bit from chillinoy.net slash history. We have a history page that I drafted uh, probably in early 2020 when uh, Illinois legalized cannabis. I think I've seen that even. Yeah, it's probably a little bit out of date. Um, but what I one of the first points I made was that in 1931, six years before a national law had passed, the Illinois General Assembly voted to make cannabis illegal in Illinois. Roughly 50 years later... Illinois lawmakers put forth the Cannabis Control Act of 1978, which technically allowed for medical cannabis. Yeah. Yeah, most people don't know that. Um, right. So do you know why it never really <laughs> took off? You know, I'm not Because I have at least one reason. I, I think like a lot of things in Illinois, you, you kind of got to go and ask, well, why did that even happen? And I think what it was, was, you know, Illinois used to be a much more split evenly state in terms of votes. I mean, Chicagoland area is always, of course, the lean Democratic for, for years and years. But a lot of it downstate is, you know, they're Republicans. Uh, but so I, I think this had something to do with some maneuvering that was going on politically about things, because I know our local... Uh, state rep, a longtime Republican who later became a congressman during that period of time he was actually, there's a certain libertarian element in uh, Illinois politics and on the right and, and that is often kind of swept under the rug because sometimes it embarrasses them and a lot of times of course the uh, Democrats don't want to talk about it, they'd rather talk about the Republicans as being one big group of bad people yep. well Everybody's got their different political opinions here, and I'm trying to split the difference here and not upset anybody while adding some important context. Well, the libertarian aspect of this, of course, they have favored uh, legalization, you know, almost since libertarians were around, which really started in the mid-70s, okay? So this was after the first rush of libertarian enthusiasm, which tended to be with Republicans. But then there was also... A lot of folks on the Democratic side of things that were going, well, you know, we need to, I mean, a lot of the same issues we have now, the racial disparities in enforcement, uh, you know, uh, how that plays out was mentioned. Um, there's a lot of concern about, you know, this being a political thing uh, imposed to, to go after Democratic voters. Well, as we all know from Nixon, that was basically true as it came out over the years, you know, Nixon used this to go after his political enemies, uh, to give them a hard time, to, to, to get them having to worry about, you know, drug charges when they could be out there organizing the revolution, you know. I mean, that was very conscious, and, and these things weren't entirely clear in 1978, but I will say I think these various factors played a role and what they did was they basically threw this out there because California was was getting pressured and of course they look to California sometimes on the on the left here a lot the right does too I mean you know uh, uh, California despite all the people make jokes and stuff about it really is a a, a, a a laboratory of democracy in a lot of ways in our country so people look mm -hmm. good out there so I think those were the factors in it actually being passed now what was really interesting though is they make all this stuff about you know all this it's illegal and you got all these penalties in place if you do this and this blah 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 it's a felony or it's a misdemeanor mostly felony um, you know this update and then they throw this in there saying well, we want to take care of sick people. And I think it was sort of a red herring to get a, some support on the left and some support on the libertarian side of the right to get them to support this bill. And for whatever reason, 
they passed law that should have the force of law as the rest of it. I mean, they sure enforced the rest of the Cannabis Control Act, having right. suffered under that. Uh, but they just sort of ignored this very explicit call for the state police to work with the Department of Public Health to come up with a system to supply people who needed medical cannabis. Yes, exactly that. You put it much more eloquently than I did. I was going to say, I was just going to be right to the point that basically action was required from two state departments, Human Services and the State Police, and because neither department was required to take action, they didn't. <laughs> right? So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it's basically like, you know, you could do this, but you don't have to. And so, of course, yeah. and especially if half of the side is the state police, that means half of the bargaining unit is against whatever is going on, right? So basically, it was really set up to fail, in my opinion. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure how this came about, other than I'm thinking it was one of these maneuvers intended to get support for the rest of the Cannabis Control Act, which they were more than enthusiastic about, you know, no question about us enforcing that part of it. We're going to be cracking down. And, uh, you know, why they did that, I'm not quite sure. I do know that, I mean, people were paying attention. I was paying attention. Like I mentioned last time, I, I sold my first medical cannabis right in that time period because people were suddenly I, I'm not sure I don't really remember the media environment that you know whether there were some cases I mean I know there were a few cases involving glaucoma uh, that got some media press where people got a federal uh, medical uh, access but that was a very restricted number of people we're talking like 10 people in the whole country over several years time and then Reagan just killed it off basically when he got in but uh, you know this is a, a time when people were starting to talk about the medical uses of cannabis. So people were aware of that. Um, it was pre-AIDS. I mean, AIDS just wasn't a factor. I mean, the first AIDS cases were really, people tend to say, were diagnosed around 1980, 81. May have been present before then. So that really wasn't a factor until later, and of course, there was a lot of political uh, support there amongst the community, you know, uh, trying to fight AIDS uh, and, and all that. But that didn't really come about till the 1980s, so that's not an explanation here. I tend to think it's more just your typical horse trading in Illinois, and they had this rather interesting wild card in there that nobody intended to, at that level, intended to honor. But they did like the sound of it as, you know, this justifies somehow the, the, the harsh side of things in this act. Now, without, yeah. without worrying about the obvious contradictions here, uh, because they can get away with it. I mean, that's the powers that be. They can enforce the law as they please, when they please, and how they please. To a much greater way uh, than they typically let on to do. Prosecutors have immense discretion in how they charge crimes and you know really if you look at some places like New York State and California a lot of the changes come about because some of the district attorneys have just said we're, we're not going to enforce this part of the law anymore it is too too unfair too wrong too unjustified in this day and age now that's typically you know very lower level offenses and stuff but you know that's kind of upset some people but really Let's get with it, folks. This is something that needs to be legalized for everybody. And it needs to be legalized in a fashion where it's not gotcha sort of politics, where they're just saying it's legalized, and yet a lot of the, the, uh, the way that the law is written doesn't really change that much in terms of arrest statistics, which we're seeing. And, and I think people really need to keep on their politicians about this. They said that this would cut down those unfair results that we were seeing from the way Cannabis Control Act was being enforced. Um, it's their responsibility to follow through on this. Otherwise, they didn't really accomplish much, except make some people rich along the way. Uh, because we were all getting our reefer anyway, one way or the other, really, you know, before all this. I mean, they had the delusion that somehow they were controlling cannabis, but, you know, 
It's just wild times. It's uh, you know, and I, I feel like, can I? Let me ask you this, because you've been through a lifetime of it. Now it's legal. I've been through. I've been through a lifetime of it being illegal, but of course my life has been uh, shorter than yours. <laughs> so far. Uh, so yeah, just a little bit, you know. Um, but uh, for you, do you still? So let me put it this way. I went to Tennessee pre-pandemic, and I lit up a joint after my friend and I were at a restaurant or something like that, just on the side of the street, which of course isn't legal in Illinois either, but it's just something I'm not completely worried about. And then it's like I did that in Tennessee, and I was like, oh, fuck, wait a minute. This is like a whole different thing over here. You know what I mean? Like, I got to go hide. You know, again, like I used to, I got to go be sketchy. So like, have you ever, or do you still, are you just still stuck in your old ways or do you ever like catch yourself like becoming a little bit used to this? Have you taken any of it for granted yet? (laughs) Uh, no, not really. I'll tell you, I, I, I still tend to be, you know, I just rather the topic not come up (laughs) when I want it to come up. I guess is the best way of putting that. Although oddly, I'll tell you this: I we've had some problems in our neighborhood here lately, and uh, I've got a camera system outside of my house for for obvious reasons. If you know yeah. my history at this point, and uh, I have invited the cops in a time or two to take a picture off my system because, quite frankly, I don't like people shooting up the neighborhood. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. so. You know, there and and the cops. You know, I say bongs on the floor there. I got a medical card before it got to be rec- legal and stuff. And uh-huh. Our local cops are pretty cool about that. Unless you're causing them trouble for other yeah. reasons, they're they're generally not out there looking to make trouble for you. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say they're all wearing halos or anything like that, but but you know, they have improved. They have improved. And, Certainly, uh, I I think most at least local here, they just see that as a waste of their efforts to be going around busting people for cannabis, let's put it this way at this point. Even though, obviously, there's a lot of that going on if you look at uh, courts and you know, yep, it, things like that. Like we were talking about, it's still happening. It's yeah, still going on. So, folks, you should... That was actually my point, bringing that back up, because I like the way you play. Better safe than sorry, folks. Yeah. A reminder... Yeah. It's still not legal. Yeah. It's regulated. That's the way yeah. we say it. You yeah. know. And you got to so, know exactly where those regulations are before you start pushing the walls too much. And some of the regulations okay. are, quite frankly, impossible to comply with. Yeah. The the one I always like to use is odor proof. There's no such thing. Yeah. You got to keep it in an odor proof container. All right, give me one. Yeah. Show me where I, I can acquire this device. Require that it be sold in an odor proof container. You know. I mean. Uh, yeah. Or set a standard anyway, so that cops just can't be going. Well, I smell some reefer here, so we're just going to tear everything down. Well, well, and that's that's what's hilarious is that it's supposed, like you say, the way the law reads is it's supposed to be sold in an odor-proof container. Yeah. And it's and it's not. And I, you know, I've talked to law enforcement agents, ones that represent, you know, towns and uh, their their apartments. They, you know, did a little. When the dispensaries opened up, they did a little visit, you know, hey, let's work together, let's try not, you know, let's keep to foster a good community, such as, you know, that whole idea, but I want to take a look at your establishment. So law enforcement came in, took a look at the establishment, and one of their remarks was, wow, it smells just like I thought it would in here. And I asked them, well, okay, that is an indication to me that that dispensary is not complying with the law, because... <laughs> the, the 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 and it's not the dispensary obviously as you know the full yeah. you know uh, but I'm just trying to be funny and such such uh, I was like because it should be an odor proof container and he was like oh I didn't even think about that and I was like yeah I mean have you thought about the fact that mm-hmm. like those don't exist and if they did your canine units would be useless you know well yeah and basically. 
what they tend to do, as I think, is they just haven't changed their mindset too much. It's all about, well, we're going to find the dope, and we're going to find you, yep. you know, charge you with some crime because of that. Well, you know, first of all, it should be, quite frankly, it sounds like a pain in the ass, but don't throw it in your center console. Sure. <laughs> or, your, or your glove compartment. Because even if it locks, which some do, if it ain't locked when it's in there, it doesn't do you any good legally. And yep. really, it's not inaccessible enough to be even if locked something yeah. that might pass the sniff test okay i mean what they're really looking for is you know you bottle of liquor it's got that seal tax stamp on it the seal goes across the top that's basically what they're looking for they don't have a seal or tax stamp for cannabis but what they're looking for is to not be broken if it's not broken you haven't used any of out of it so they gotta go after you for something else obvious I mean if there's nothing else obvious if you just wipe the cannabis store and you're driving fine there's nothing there you know right. they're just trying to create the situation this is the way I put it for people and this is actually from a law enforcement agent he's like you know if you're getting wine from a restaurant because you and your lady went out and you really enjoyed that bottle of wine you said hey sir can you package this up we want to take the rest of this home we'll, we'll you know and he's like, yeah. So he goes through these the set of precautions. He like plastic wraps it, puts a little temporary cor- or p- temporary cork, plastic wraps it, gets it nice, tidy. In other words, in a way that you're not just gonna tilt the bottle up and drink out of it on the way home. Puts it in a bag, and what you do with that bag is you put it somewhere inaccessible, all the way in the back seat, the trunk, somewhere safe. And what we're trying to say, folks, is you should treat the cannabis similar to to that scenario. Yeah. You know. I mean, people, like you say, they think it's legal. It's regulated. Yes. <laughs> so you got to pay attention to what those regulations indicate you should do under those circumstances. I mean, it sounds like the man being down on you, but and he sort of is, but, you know, if you want the, the protection that the law offers, then you have to sort of go along with what the law requires. Right. It's, and it's interesting. I mean, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole again, but it is interesting. You put it perfectly. If you want the protection that the law offers, and then it's like, like you said, if you don't want that protection, you're if you don't comply in order to get that protection, how about that? Yeah. And meet all those regulations. Um, you find yourself in some trouble, and they've got that clearly spelled out. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And, right. you know... It, just think about it, folks. I mean, you know, you can save yourself a lot of hassle uh, by putting it in a trunk. <laughs> or otherwise, you know, you got an SUV, I've got a cooler back there, you know, with a latch on it. So there's no way I can get to it from the driving position and it's latched down. So, you know, hopefully that would be suitable. But I tend to put stuff very inaccessible when I'm moving it on the highway. Let's put yeah. it that way. Even if I'm completely legal completely totally legal here's a question have you ever had to move plants <laughs> like under an emergency basis well like uh, you know not to get too much into a story because I think I've told this on the podcast before but uh, Justine and I had to move in the past and I was mid cycle uh, so I in the day I had to tear down my tent yeah bring it over, build the tent, bring the plants over, and make sure yeah. that all happens happened within its day, you know, before the lights went I think out. that would be pretty legal unless you had a big box van that you could lock up the back of it. Uh-huh. Or something, you know, somehow or another, because basically the law doesn't care if you, it's not smokable yet. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's cannabis, you know. And right. it would definitely be looking like cannabis if it's a plant. Uh, well, I guess... The best and it it did. We were driving down in a, a, a city, and our jeep. I've got video. We, it was filled yeah. with cannabis plants. Just <laughs> about four cannabis plants. Yeah. Well, we got some no, uh, odd drive looks. carefully. Drive yeah. carefully in those circumstances. I have moved lots of starts, yeah. you know, uh, from inside out to the field, and you basically just kind of got to cover them up as best you can. You know. Yeah. You don't want them just waving around in the wind back there. Uh, boxes usually work best if you can get kind of a tall box because it's got a side on it and close the lid. And you're pretty well, but it's going to be smelling like weed. Yeah, 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, our whole car was uh, aromatic for sure. Um, well, I guess uh, maybe a final topic, unless anything else comes up. Uh, you know, for you, we'll wrap up the show. We talked about a little bit of gra- about gorilla growing last time, and I wanted to ask you how complex because I neglected to ask you last time. How complex did you get with your like watering? Did you just rely on the environment, or did you get crazy complex like some of these people do with getting a you know pipe off the river and stuff? <laughs> well, um, most of the stuff, pretty much, we just relied on natural natural yeah. rainfall with a little bit. What I tend to do is prepare holes and uh, use perlite. I use a lot of that uh, for outdoor rows. Oh. Yeah. And kind of mix that in with the dirt. We've got, at least here in central Illinois, that really thick, heavy black. Just, I mean, it's great for growing corn in, but it, it compacts a little too easily, especially when it's wet. So, you yeah. know, it holds moisture cool. probably too much. Um, well, that's what the perlite helps with, is, right. is, is it takes out some of that moisture and makes it more available. So it's nice. not like mud, you know, yeah. exactly. And uh, yeah, it tends to hold moisture because it's got a lot of organic matter in it. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm grow a lot of corn and grow a lot of reefer too with oh, yeah. fields of waving reefer one of these days folks but uh yeah that's 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 for the future i guess anyway when, when sure it's demonetized you think... enough you don't have to worry about people stealing it you know <laughs> yeah do you think that uh illinois soil is good for growing can like would it is it good for if you break it up like you say and make sure to add perlite and make sure it's breathable is it does the same logic apply to cannabis as does corn? Is it just great soil? Oh yeah, it's just it's just really good soil for 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 that here. I mean, it grows about anything in cannabis. Yeah, I've had good luck with it outside. Let's put it this way: soil's never been a a real limitation. I will say that the plants we're looking at now, I think I mentioned in there that we had a tank in the in the truck and we go around and we could uh, we had a hose. So yeah. we weren't right next to the trail, the, you know, the track what, back in the woods or whatever, because even in those days, the National Guard was up <laughs> looking for <laughs> stuff. So you had to think, and of course it's helped a little bit by various life experiences I had. You had to think about what things look like from overhead. So yeah. that's one thing to definitely keep in mind, gorilla growing. But we had little tracks back there. They were pretty not well-worn. But you could see them if you really worked at it. And we'd have a hose and uh, have an electric pump, basically, that would uh, push the, the water wherever we needed to, you know. And, nice. uh, but then um, eventually we started, we built a system with, for part of it because the geography was favorable, where we had a, it was a, basically a pickup sized tank, regular pickup size. And it was like 250, 300 gallons, something like that. We basically uh, buried it at the top of the hill, or half buried it really, it wasn't entirely buried it. And then we ran the hose down the hill to several locations where the plants were. And then that way we didn't have to drag a hose or any of that, we just creep through little foot trails. So very, very little signature from overhead under those circumstances. Uh, and what we would do is we would take an electric pump in the truck and we had a pipe at the downhill side down by the creek and then periodically we would take that hook it up pump the tank full and then we'd have water for a, a month or so at a time so you know once that was all in very very low signature in terms of uh, getting water to to these crops but this is on land that we sort of had an agreement on you know? sure you'd be very risky to try to do that on uh, on Unknown somebody land. else's land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll, especially here in Illinois, you'll be met with a barrel of the gun. <laughs> yeah, you might be. You might be. <laughs> yeah. Well, Buds, I don't want to take too much more of your time because, uh, you know, um, it's about dinner time, and I think we've had a pretty good chat on a variety of topics. So I look forward to the next time you come on the Chillinois podcast. I enjoy um getting gaining knowledge from you and talking about a little bit of history and learning from you uh, well i said that twice i'm stoned yeah um, <laughs> that's okay i like well, learning from you it. and i like learning from you and i like smoking weed well yeah. people send in those questions I'd yes be happy to address anything <laughs> even if you just think i might 
know some crazy answer who knows but uh, usually I can give you some insights at least way people were thinking back then certainly the way I was thinking uh, I could do that and, and why certain things get done but uh, yeah it's it's been a long interesting trip and there's plenty more let's put it this way I've got all kinds of stories we could talk about so yeah. uh, uh, maybe next time we'll see about some other things Sounds good. Yeah. So on that note, folks, uh, chillinois.net slash contact. If you fill that form out, you can send us a message. Uh, you can send us a question um, for Buds, and I can facilitate that either on air if you prefer that, or I can just send it his way and you can, you know, have a conversation with him through Reddit or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate, as always, <clears throat> your input on uh, our cannabis community. Um, you do solid work on there like i mean it's all about sharing the knowledge on there uh i think that's what i think that's what i see the members that i like most share and contribute good knowledge and help each other out and you do that constantly so thank you well glad to do it i that's what i enjoy doing and i'll say we got a couple of uh, we talked about them briefly here but a couple of really interesting sets of uh picks coming up the next two times around and then we'll we'll move on to some other things yeah. Oh man, and I'm sorry. Your question about uh, bongs. <laughs> um, I actually, so I in, I told you I didn't ask it, but I did, and I lost like 25 minutes of my yeah, interview I, I with Tommy to Chong. Oh man, probably crushing how that happened. Well, happened. it honestly though, we got a. I think we had a pretty good conversation. It did oh, suck good. because you know. Uh, there were a lot of community questions that got lost to the abyss, um, but or the ether, however you want to say it. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, for the most part, I was able to retrieve uh, the most most of the conversation. So um, it was pretty cool to talk to him. I, yeah, yeah, it was a good show. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll have to ask him again next time because he had a wild story about his first experience with bongs and stuff. I'm not even gonna try to, to oh, retell yeah. it. You know, I'm looking so. forward to that. For sure. Hell yeah, hell yeah, dude. Well, thanks again for your time today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening, and folks, hope you found a little bit of value in this episode. We'll see you next time on the Chillinois Podcast. Later.